Blessings and best wishes, Reggie Hubbard here for episode three. Uh, Practice makes purpose, conscious conversations to talk about social justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. So Jedi for short. Um, Happy to be here today. We're going to talk with Mike Huggins um, about his work with the Transformation Yoga Project, working with incarcerated um, practitioners and sharing the yoga practice with uh, people in jail um, and the different... uh, nuances one must use when talking to incarcerated populations. So we'll wait for Mike to get on. Welcome to all of you who are here. This is episode three. In prior episodes, we talked about um, just with Chanel Sledge, we talked about just how to make the practice more approachable. So Chanel, beautiful teacher on the own practice platform, she has been able to infuse her lived experience with um, the Practice, right? And so make it more accessible for bigger bodies, um, former athletes, people of color, um, women of color, those sorts of things. So like that is what we talked about with Chanel. And last week we talked about um, how to make the practice more approachable to men. So we, with uh, my buddy Nick from Men Care Now, we talked about the opportunity to use different practices, different approachabilities um, to get out of the pseudo-gymnastic um, love and light conversation and make the practice more approachable to men. So, um, Mike, if you can request yourself, I see you on, I see you on here. Um, we'll look forward to getting the conversation going in a moment, but happy to have you all here, whether you view this live or whether you view this um, later on Instagram, TV, or YouTube, We're welcome. Mike is here. Brother Mike. Reggie. We made it work, dude. Yes. We did it. I'm a little technology challenged, so uh, thank you for uh, patience. No, so the blessing of this entire experience is that, like, you know, I believe, especially as we come out of the pandemic, I believe we need to meet each other where we are and then take us where we need to go. So, like, you, you, so up until 2016, I was the, I had the dopest flip phone game in the world. I didn't have a smartphone, like, flip phone. People are like, oh, I can't text you in blah, blah, blah. I'm like, look, just call me. So then I did an international program in Brazil and had to get on the smartphone thing. And I knew once I said yes to the smartphone that like I would be tethered to Big Brother for the rest of my life. <laughs> no worries. Happy to have you. Thank um, you. Excited to have this conversation today in general and, and just with you. Because like, in, our pre, in our prep call, I just, I left that conversation like, yeah! <laughs> so like, it's have that conversation with you today. So um, just tell us a little bit about you. I mean, you and I met um, through Yoga Unify, which is a delightful group that I'm on the executive board for, um, as are you, to basically steward the forward evolution of yoga. So tell us a little bit more about like you, your life story, how yoga found you, and then we'll get going. Yeah, great. I appreciate that. So um, yeah, I, I was in the corporate world forever. You know, I felt like I was like, destined, trained, all that, you know, all the schools, all that stuff. And, and I had a really wonderful career until I didn't, basically. And uh, along the way, I discovered uh, yoga because of chronic back problems, which I now know were dealing with uh, stress, but I thought there was something else. But at the same time, the company uh, that I was managing at this time, it was, I was the COO of a pretty large company. I was a $4 billion, I'm sorry, $2 billion business, at least the piece I was managing, we were being criminally investigated by the FDA. And um, long story short is I was charged 
with a misdemeanor for something that was called a responsible corporate officer, which really means something happened, something illegal happened under my watch, and I didn't stop it. Mm-hmm. The, the, the fact that I didn't know about it was sort of interesting, but irre- not relevant to the FDA and the OIG's perspective. So I'm kind of mm-hmm. condensing all this. So sort of my world collapsed in front of me. I had this fabulous career, all the perks, all that other stuff that went with that. I also had this really wonderful yoga practice that had carried me through all this. And it, interestingly, uh, as these two worlds collided, I realized, uh, aside from the legal stuff, I wasn't happy in my job. But I, I wasn't, um, I didn't feel like I had the wherewithal to take that step to, to jump into yoga with both feet and to really explore this amazing, uh, powerful program that was, was doing so much for me personally. But I was afraid, you know, because I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't talk myself into what is this corporate executive becoming a yoga teacher? You know, it was sort of a rationale thing, which, which now makes no sense to me. But at the time, I, I struggled with it. Right. Long story short, short is following the system over a period of years. Um, this went through the legal courts, and I ultimately was uh, sentenced to prison. Uh-huh. And and when I was in prison, I didn't go to a prison camp immediately. I was at a federal detention center. And um, I used some basic yoga principles just to calm myself down. And um, once I got my nerve up, uh, as far as like feeling a little bit more, I hate to say the word comfortable, but, under, but just getting, finding my way through the system, I started practicing a little bit. And very quickly, men came up to me and said, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, um, I'm doing some core work. But very, very quickly, it wasn't yoga. It was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working abs, I'm doing whatever, right? It was power yeah. yoga stuff. Yeah. And very, very quickly, it morphed into a full-fledged yoga program. And um, meaning that, as we talked before, it was the, the big why, not just asana. It was right. meditation. It was the pranayama. It was, it was really discussion, dharma talks and all of that. Right. So, um, uh, so, so many truths came to me as far as my own lack of understanding about yoga, but also the world in general, my, my world, uh, as I knew it was, was, um, very sheltered, even though I thought I was sort of a kind of, um, a with it executive. I kind of, you know, thought I w- was making conscious uh, decisions for the community, for the company, all that, but I realized that I just didn't have that knowledge base. And so that experience of teaching yoga in prison, um, was extraordinary beneficial for myself personally, but I also saw the power of the practice to set a spark into these men who were clearly searching for something and otherwise wouldn't have tried yoga. Right. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for your yeah. vulnerability. And just like the power of that, and this is another thing I think in the time that we're in now, like the power of like authentic storytelling and sharing is what we need. I mean, because like what the pandemic hopefully, and this is what it's done for me, is like lit a fire under me to tell my story, to demonstrate resilience. Right. So rather than go back to a way that never worked, like use the resilience of surviving a cataclysmic event. And then, you know, like adversity is the one thing that allows for resilience to manifest. You know, if you don't go through adversity, resilience, resilience doesn't show up when things are good. Resilience only can manifest when things are adverse. Right. So I love what you shared in that, like you took not only the asana practice but like you said the big why yoga practice um in your adverse situation when you were like on top of the world and then just not or like you said i had a great career until i didn't um and then you used it to serve 
Right. So, so, so what I what I see with that, Reggie, is this: that in our everyday lives, um, we can live in that gray zone. Like we can yeah. kind of get by. Like we can have a job that's okay. Um, we can be in a relationship that's okay. It's not abusive necessarily. It's just it's okay. It's not necessarily loving, but we're okay. We we can always rationalize things because of, well, I got my kids, I got this, I got that. So we we can just kind of get by, not really live a truly meaningful existence. What the experience of going to prison showed me was that it, it forced me and it forces others to see things in black and white, meaning that there is no gray area. Either you're going to make a decision to make this day the best day you possibly can, or you're going to let the system overwhelm you and you're just going to become institutionalized and you'll be just kind of losing yourself. And that's a conscious decision every day. And gosh, the parallels to yoga, I mean, you can't ask for a better marriage of, of a tool that can help us feel present and see opportunities when it only looks like darkness. And, but it's a conscious decision. We have to wake up and say, this is what I'm going to do. And of course, our yoga practice is incredibly powerful for keeping us on that track and helping us see things with that clarity. Yeah, I'll give you a perfect example. Like yeah. I shared this with you, but I'll share this with other folks. Like yeah. my ankle pretty amazingly a couple of weeks ago. And so like mm -hmm. I, I cut my teaching schedule by almost 90%. Um, one, like my students have been like, thank you for modeling rest, <laughs> right? So, you know, and like, while I have relearned how to walk to some extent, because I've been on crutches and, you know, I'm a big dude. So, it, it, you know, when you have a bum wheel and you're over six foot tall, over 250, yikes, you know, like you gotta re be super careful about that. Mm -hmm. But I could have been like, oh, this totally sucks. Oh man, my life, woe is me, woe is me, however, I have chosen to see it as a blessing to heal, mm -hmm. an opportunity to share my healing journey with people because a lot of teachers are invincible or indestructible or they act like they are or they don't talk about like things as, as real as they are. Um, they just want everything to be like flowers and sunshine and everything, whereas the darkness is what allows our light to shine a little bit brighter. And, you know, you and I talked a little bit about this on, on the phone. I want to explore this a bit more. And then we'll talk about Transformation Yoga Project. It's like, so we talk about yoga as functional tool and sacred art. How do you, how did, how did you and how do you find that balance? Yeah, so, um, look, I'm a student of yoga. I think we all are students of yoga. So, so I don't profess to know anything other than the little piece of sliver that I've been able to, to work with, with the, the populations I work with. So, so please keep that in mind. Sure. Um, so, but I, but I really lean on the side of practicality and, um, and, and if we look at the different kinds of form, I mean, I think, uh, yoga, I would say karma yoga, this, this, this uh, service, and that's really what's, what drives me more than anything. So if I hit uh, a, a potential conflict between, um, following a tradition versus uh, taking action to serve, um, then I will, take, I will take the action piece, generally speaking. And the reason I say that is when we're trying to, to, to reach individuals who are struggling in their life, whether they're, they're dealing with PTSD from the military or have a substance abuse problem or they're incarcerated, um, they're searching for tools for them to help for them to navigate life. They, they, we just want to live with life in a little bit of ease. Right. And they're not as interested in what lineage is this and what lineage is that. And so there's a fine line, honestly, particularly now as, as I get better educated about, about uh, cultural appropriation and all that. So, so that's there, 
But at the same time, I feel an obligation to provide basic tools that individuals who would otherwise not even consider the yoga can rely upon to help them just get through life. And, and almost like, I don't care if we call it yoga or not, honestly. I mean, it's, 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 it's how we serve. It's, what, it's, it's the tools that people can rely on, that they can utilize, that they can develop, that can help them leave a productive or healthy life. That's whatever you want to call that. We happen to call it yoga. And, and, I, and I don't say that sarcastically. I just say, because I don't want to feel like we're appropriating things, um, misappropriating culture, all that. Okay? Right. And, and, and you and I have talked about that. I personally have a long way to go to have a deeper understanding of, of that aspect of it. Um, right. So that is important. I'm, I'm, I would never minimize that, but, but when we're working with, with populations that are uh, in desperate need for some type of support mechanism, um, when we talk about all lineages, it, it's maybe not the right time. As they go deeper into a practice, and many do go deeper into their practice, then there's a, there's a, a, a huge interest in them learning more about this thing. Just like, I'm sure you did that. I did that. Cool. To try to understand why, and why am I feeling, why is this happening? That's great. And then we should be able to provide a mechanism for them to go deeper and to understand all the history and, and lineage and science behind this practice. Two quick reflections I have is like, one is that I started practicing yoga to not call my boss an MFB, right? <laughs> so like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. It was super simple. It wasn't like, like, I wasn't trying to be like Malabid wearing dude with his own practice. Like that wasn't what I was trying to do. I was really trying to got my boss so I didn't get fired. You know what I mean? Because like I was under extreme psychological duress and I was just like this yoga thing seemed to like calm me down a little bit because brother runs hot sometimes, right? And so like I was like, so this, I'll try this out. Um, and the other thing is like I teach union members. Um, and so when I was like, essentially this is just stretching with breath. Like they're like, oh, right. So it's like, it, it, yes, it's yoga, but like, Yoga is, there are aspects of yoga, and I teach them asana and meditation. I was like, these are aspects of this entire system. Like, there are other aspects of the system that may not be of interest to you, right? So, like, I think we must figure out ways to simplify. You know, I even use, I even credit own practice in other places with this. Is like, so sometimes a studio is a barrier to, and you know, you're a business guy, I have an MBA. Is like, some you have to reduce barriers to entry to like get the system or the product or the tool um, with more ubiquitous use, right? So like if someone being like, well, my lineage is blah, 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 if that makes someone go like this, then that's actually doing a disservice to, to the power of the practice. So tell me, tell us a little bit more about Transformation Yoga Project, like the populations you serve, how that has, how that has been going and just like the biggest level of impact you think you've offered. Yeah, great. So, um, uh, so to, just to follow through, so that, that experience in the, in the prison system was uh, truly life-changing for me. And so coming out of that, uh, and I had a short sentence. It was a misdemeanor. It was a nonviolent, all that. But so I had a short sentence. Having said that, I really struggled with reentry. And it just it mm -hmm. opened my eyes to the problems in the system for, for men or women who have been in the system a long time. And they're trying to come back. I mean, I don't, it, it's, that's another whole discussion, I think. But, but during that process, I was able to, to kind of reflect on what my role is in this whole experience. And so I decided to, 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 be, to serve, to, to formalize what I was doing while I was incarcerated. And I started the Transformation Yoga Project rather to go back to the corporate world. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, I basically just started volunteering uh, at uh, did a lot of training of trauma. This was back in about 2000. Uh, well, started training in 2010, but I, I was released in 2012. <clears throat> Excuse me. And at that time, a lot of there's a lot of trauma trainings floating around the area. So I did a lot of trauma training, spent a lot of time at the Omega Institute and uh, a lot of work with Yoga Nidra uh, and felt I had now some tools, uh, plus I had pr- real life experience. Um, and so I just started volunteering and very quickly got a reputation that, hey, this guy can maybe help you. So I started teaching at the VA hospital, started teaching in a couple of um, uh, uh, substance abuse facilities. And then ultimately, Transformation Yoga was, was sort of up and running with just an amazing, like, it's like Field of Dreams. If you, if you build it, they will come. And we had a, a, a wonderful group of uh, dedicated yogis who were all trauma-oriented, trauma-focused that just helped us to build this community. Uh, so it's been a wonderful experience. So now fast forward. So that was in 2012, 2013. In 2020, 21, with COVID, we made a conscious decision we're going to refocus our efforts. And we were fortunate to have, uh, in a financial situation, we, we did really well like uh, as a business. I hate to use that word business, but it, it, in some sense it is, uh, certainly a nonprofit. Um, but, but we felt that we were sort of in between being a large nonprofit and being a small nonprofit. And so and we made the decision that we're going to shift our efforts from being a, a direct service provider. We're going to shrink the organization down but then support other organizations that are doing this kind of work. And that's how you and I met through Yoga Unified through their, yeah, through their um, community investment, which is near and dear to my heart. And so we're in the process of actually giving our money away. We're still running multiple programs, but it's all going to be done at a, at a lower level. And me personally, it allows me to go back to what I love is ask to teach. And then going back into the VA hospital and a few other places. So um, uh, it's been a, a challenging for everybody for COVID, but I think, we can make a, a huge impact in organizations that are doing amazing work. They just don't have the resources and they don't get the notoriety, quite honestly. Right. So tell me a little bit. I mean, one of the best things about our, our pre-production call that like really spoke to me is like the way, um, because like uh, essential element of like these conversations that I'm having is to not only demystify certain aspects of the practice, but talk about how we can make it more applicable. Um, you know, practice makes purpose. So like how you use your teaching practice, your your individual practice, those sorts of things to make it more applicable to other, other communities. So like, tell me a little bit more about like when you were teaching like Muslim inmates or other inmates, like the ways that you would use like, not sell it per se, but, but essentially sell it. So like knowing what not to say that would essentially cause harm to someone who could use these practices. So, so what are the ways that you've simplified um, the way that you offer the practice, not just to like Muslim brothers, but like um, veterans, because the own practice community has a lot of veterans. So I want to speak a little bit more about vets. So talk about Muslim brothers and we'll talk about vets. Yeah, so that's great. It's a great question. So there's two aspects there. If you talk about the incarcerated population of Muslims, um, we had a 200-hour teacher training program. So we're located right in Philadelphia in the suburbs outside in Philly and uh, Delaware and South Jersey. And we have a, uh, a 200-hour teacher training program at one of the several state prisons. And in that program, there were a lot of, of men of Islam and um, who were amazing students. But uh, so, so the first thing I would say, Reggie, is this. For any yoga practice, for any, for any, forget yoga, for any kind of inner work to be done, there has to be able to create a safe zone, a safe space where 
you feel like you can be vulnerable, right? Um, and uh, and so that is a challenge to do in prison, right? Just for the for yeah. those incarcerated men and women, there is really a safe space. So we we do what we can to try to create this safe zone. No judgment. Everybody speaks up. Sort of you know what's in Vegas stays in Vegas. But the power structures are really important because um, they're there. You, you might have a lead instructor uh, for that class who's who's an incarcerated man. Um, when that class is over, he's he's in the mix with everybody else. So there's, the power structures are really important to have those managed and to accept everybody where they are. And there's nobody's higher than others. So we don't we don't even call ourselves teachers. We call ourselves we're not a yoga teacher. We're an instructor uh, mm. because and we and we uh, always do the poses. We never like walk around and and, and give instructions because that 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 shows that the difference between me and you that we're going to do it together. Yeah. And, and as far as specifically, uh, when it comes to the, uh, the Islam, the solutions came from the men themselves, the students, not from us, because right. I don't know. I mean, I'm learning like everybody else. But things like child's pose, that was a trigger in that. Because it's prayer. I, I only bow down to Allah, right? right? So I only do that. So this, this is, I can't do that. Okay. What can we do? What makes sense for you? It's just child's pose. It's just a pose. And the pose is supposed to relax us is to get us focused, to get focused on our breathing. So there's many other poses we can do that achieve the same thing. So we, we talk through that. Um, and then we start to go through like uh, this, the, these, these aspects of yamas and niyamas. And if you go back to the lineage, well, it, it has its roots in Hinduism, which yeah. can be a trigger for the Muslim population. Uh, there's been issues there, as you know, historically. So, but when you break down the yamas and niyamas, they match really well to Islam as far sure. as the basic principles there. So, to our to your earlier point, why I'm I focus on practicality than necessarily form, because we don't have to call them yamas and niyamas. We can call them, you know, nonviolence. We can call them, you know, uh, avoidance. We can talk about practical terms of that. And by doing that, those men feel empowered and then they can add to it. What about this? What about that? Yeah. And then what happens over that is that they have ownership of their own practice. And then they're able to then move. They're able to spread the practice on. And so, you know, in the prison, those who work in prisons know we have limited access. And so the men come there. We might teach several classes a week or have a 200-hour teacher training program, but we're gone. Right. Those men are there. And what's happening is that they've been able to go deep inside the prison and to start their own programs. They can go deep into those units and talk to other men of whatever faith there may be and, and talk about, hey, it's not what you think. You can do this. You can do that. Here's some breathing. Here's some way to focus. It's really freeing. In fact, one could argue that it's actually deepened, help, help them deepen their faith. Sure. We've seen that in other it's not just it's not just with Islam, it's any religion. So that's that's really the the, the big power we've seen there. Right. And then if you flip it over to, to the veteran side, we I think we talked briefly that yeah. I don't think people really under appreciate that just under ten percent of the prison population are veterans. Um and so there's a huge veteran, you know, need for veterans work uh within the prisons and even of course at the VA hospital. And and there's a slight difference there because when you're in when you're in general population in prison, you're thrown together and you're just sort of there because by happenstance you're there and that's who you're bunk whatever it is, right? Yeah. 
but but in the in the military there is this certainly you can you can you can feel it the sense of camaraderie that hey we've been through this or whether even if it's a different uh, arm of the armed forces they can feel the shared experience they've had so there's a there's a actually a deeper bond that happens there and certainly one where they look out for each other um and uh so there's one that that we can do certain things there because it, the, there's a respect there's an almost instant instant respect that goes on even though they're, they might be incarcerated or they might be you know uh, in a hospital dealing with ptsd right yeah and what i would say is so the so i'll go back to one more practical piece of the practice so uh here's to give you a great example of 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 the kind of things that I, at least I'm most interested in. We had a veteran uh, at the VA hospital, and I call him Jorge, it's not his real name. Right. But he, he, was a, he was an avid practitioner. He was in the Afghan war and um, just saw some really um, atrocious things and uh, significant PTSD. So he, he, was in the v, he was in the VA hospital for a year and a half and wasn't even allowed to leave the campus there. So he was there and he finally got a pass to go home in, down to Baltimore. And he was at the bus stop outside of Philadelphia. And he said, you know, somebody got into my face. And like I was, about to, I was about to get it on with this guy. And then I looked down and I remember he goes, I was standing in mountain pose. And one of the things we've talked about with the VA is mountain pose is not like being attention. It's a mountain. It's you're strong but you're relaxed. You can drop yeah. your shoulder blades. You're standing here. You're under control. You can take, you can take what's coming to you and you can take that pause before you react. And so he did that. He said, I, I looked at myself. I was standing in a mountain pose. I took a breath in, took a breath out, took a breath in, took a breath out. And it was done. That moment passed. And that was huge for him. You know, <laughs> it was huge. So the same thing happened. He went home and he's got a difficult family situation and the same thing happened with his family. And he said, once again, he was able to get through a weekend away for, you know, which was big, which is huge for him. And so those are the types of things that I think this yoga practice can really um, have. Now, in his particular case, he wanted to learn more about yoga. So, so he is, gone down a pathway of understanding more about yamas and niyamas and the mm -hmm. traditions that's of interest to him but it but that but he's seen the results and just now he's curious about what, what why how does this work so those stories are kind of what drive us and we've seen that over and over again with transformation yoga project and i'm sure other organizations that are do like trauma-informed uh, work are seeing it because it works yeah I, I, lo I love that story because um it, <laughs> I teach on Capitol Hill, um, which is a, like to some extent, like it's its own world, right? So I can't come in and be like, okay, everyone, love and light, you know, and I also can't teach hour long classes. My classes tend to be like 20 to 25 minutes um, because like, that's just, that's just the time that I got. And so when I hear someone say, like you said, I was in this situation, someone basically was throwing a whole bunch of dumb shit in my face. And I was just like shoulders back and down in through the nose, out through the nose. And then I proceeded with peace. I'm just like, and that, that's what I'm talking about. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, so those, and so for you to say like, so I can't imagine what my brother Jorge has seen, but to know that he was able to stand, relax, and then process and then move forward is so much more significant to me than people who use this practice as a social club and like blow through poses and then like throw a lot of platitudes. Like, so like, I, I love what you shared there and that's the type of stuff 
that I want to elevate and help elevate because like that's the power of what we offer is not as opposed to mediocre gymnastics and platitudes about love and life. Yeah. So to that point, so he, so, so Jorge is a great example. Again, we started out, this guy is a, is a, is a physical specimen. And so my mind, I'm going to do a really heavy power yoga type class. That's, yeah. that's what he wants. It's not what he wanted at all. He, he got through it, but what he said he got the most out of it was the pranayama. And when we held poses longer, like we went into pigeon pose, for example, pigeon pose for him was incredibly powerful, more than anything else. I guess and we, we can probably appreciate that. So yeah. we have a tendency to to look at um, him, for example, and say, oh, this guy's in good shape, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work him. I'm going to push him. And, and our yoga practice, particularly for trauma, is the opposite. We're not going to push anybody. It, we're going to offer some, some suggestions, and it, they can pick and choose which ones they, they want to do. And, and, and over time, by having them make the decision, it's, it's empowering. They empower themselves so that now it, they make a decision. And I know it's, it may seem like a small thing, like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go deeper into this pose. But the choice. I'm not, the instructor's not telling you to go deeper. We're not saying, oh, okay, you can go deeper. Okay, breathe, let, go deeper. You know, we don't do that. It's, it's how do you feel? Can you, can you be curious about the situation? Can you make a distinction between pain and discomfort? And can you decide what your body needs right now? Right. We, we hear so much about things like uh, the, the uh, uh, mind-body experience, right? My view, and I'm not the one who made this up, but, but, I prefer to say the body-mind experience because sure. particularly for these populations that are suffering from significant trauma, we start with the body because they're afraid to go up here. Right. And, and for good reason, right? For good reason. Yeah. If we start here, then they can start to feel, you know, stuff and then start to make that connection. And hopefully our breathing and our focusing and the guided meditations can help us navigate those feelings as they start to wait, make their way up into our brain. But I, so I really like to focus as a body mind uh, approach, not a mind body approach. I love that. Um, and, and as we, as we round towards close, like, do you have any other thoughts? Like as, so as we offer yoga or consider offering yoga to marginalized or traumatized communities, do you have any thoughts on that or any other closing thoughts you, you, you'd care to offer anyone who watches? Yeah, I think, I think it's it, over, over, my observation for the last 15 years, 12 years about over this, it's really shifted. So when I first started doing it, it was all about, yeah, all the athletes do it. Hey, do this because, you know, that's why the pro athletes, they, they, they're sharper. They can focus better, you know, so do it because you can improve your sports. I think we've moved way past that. I think even in deep into the communities, I know there's some, you know, stereotypes still out there, but I think by and large people understand that yoga is more about, uh, you know, core work. It, it's about uh, working the mind and, and yeah, and the heart. So I think we should be, we should not overly dumb it down. Even though I talk about being practical, I don't want to overly dumb it down because there, people understand that there's more to it than physical stretching. And we should acknowledge that and, and encourage them to say, yes, it is more than that. And you, yes, you're going to get a stretch. Yes, you're going to do this, but um, let, let's make it Let's not assume they don't know anything because they do love a lot more and they bring more to the, to the practice than, than we actually do. Right. It, it's that beginner's mind that we talk about not in, in Buddhist practice where like there are people who have 
this is why I like to teach beginners or I like to teach union members or like people who are non-traditional because I learn more about their by, by their response than people who like go through the motions like people like oh my god like my shoulders are loose I'm like wow you know what I mean like if, they, if they've yeah. been like this for years just they're awakening that when you take a deep breath and expand all this that you can settle in like that like they're giving them that tool is more powerful to me than than people who are just like I want to learn how to do compass pose. Yeah, that's that's great. I'm not your teacher for that. Like like, but if you want to like find find ways to like deepen the body mind, like that the body mind connection to become aware of what's happening in the body and make conscious decisions about how to release the stress that, that is accumulated in the body. Like that's what I'm interested in. Yeah, I'm right with you. That's beautiful. So. Well, Mike, thank you very much for coming for this conversation, for just the, the nuggets that you dropped with us. And, you know, we're going to bring episode three to a close. Next week, I'll be with Danny Fluker from Black Boys Own talking about how the work, because I'm also a member of Black Boys Own, like the work that we're doing to elevate the, te the teaching voices of Black men in this culture that is predominantly female and white. But uh, my blessings to you and thank you to each of you who watch this either in person or will watch later. Practice Makes Purpose, episode three, over and out. Love, grace, and